Hello, everyone. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Lesson 32 in our Becoming Byzantine series. Um, this is part three of the Ukrainian Catholic Catechism, Christ our Pascha, where we're discussing the life of the church and today uh, continuing our conversation on the dignity of the human person, especially at the beginning of life. So let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Heavenly King, Comforter, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things, the treasury of blessings and the giver of life, come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain, and save our souls, O Good One. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, first, a, a, a bit of an apology. In the, uh, the last lesson, when we were discussing marriage, um, I went over a little bit into uh, talking about issues against the dignity of the human person at the beginning of life, which is the lesson for this time. Um, so I apologize for going over, but I, I, wa I really wanted to keep those two topics of, of marriage and then kind of those offenses against the dignity of life. So abortion, and we talked about in vitro fertilization. I wanted to keep those packaged together because they are so intimately tied together. But in my in my doing so, I, I went over the prescribed catechism paragraphs. So I, I hope that's okay and it didn't mess in, uh, mess you up too much. So we'll have a short lesson today and we'll finish up that topic of uh, those offenses against the human person at the beginning of life, starting with um, artificial contraception. Now, we're going to get into what Christ our Pascha has to say about artificial contraception, um, but really the meat and potatoes of the church's teaching um, is found in the encyclical by Pope St. Paul VI, um, Humanae Vitae, which, um, when it came out, was a kind of a watershed moment for the church. Um, there were many, many who were expecting the church to change her teaching on artificial contraception, um, but Pope, Pope Paul VI, um, guided by the Holy Spirit and really in a, a very prophetic way, uh, maintained the perennial teaching of the church that artificial contraception um, is against the moral order um, and creates all kinds of problems within Christian marriage. So instead of kind of going through uh, kind of the general catechism paragraphs, which we'll get to later, I, I wanted to look at the document because he really does say some very prophetic things here. So we're just going to read through it. And I'm going to draw out a, a couple of things. So again, this is from Humani Vitae, uh, paragraph 17. Responsible men can become more deeply convinced of the truth of the doctrine laid down by the church on this issue if they reflect on the consequences of the methods and plans for artificial birth control. Let them first consider how easily this course of action could open wide the way up for marital infidelity and a general lowering of moral standards. And I'm going to pause right there. Um, that's bolded. I drew it out of the text because um, it doesn't take much convincing, uh, nor evidence. The evidence is plentiful. Um, in our culture right now, um, I mean, half, more than half of marriages end in divorce, um, so marital infidelity um, and kind of the breakdown of marriages because of, of infidelity, because of uh, affairs, because of addictions to pornography, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
marriage is a difficult thing in our culture. It's a very difficult thing. Um, and our culture does not encourage healthy marriages. Um, and Pope Paul VI drew that really to contraception because once you draw, once you allow contraception in, into a marriage, um, you start objectifying the person. Uh, and unfortunately, we live in a culture of objectification. Uh, general lowering of moral standards. Um, I don't think I need to convince anybody of that. Um, turn on the news, turn on the internet, um, and spend more than two minutes um, searching about the way uh, the culture views moral standards. Um, it's, it's in the toilet. So I think Pope Paul VI was very prophetic with pointing that out. Continuing from Humane Vitae, not much experience is needed to be fully aware of human weakness and to understand human beings, and especially the young who are so exposed to temptation. They needed, they needed incentives to keep the moral law, and it is an evil thing to make it easy for them to break the law. Another effect that gives cause for alarm is that a man who grows accustomed to the use of contraceptive methods may forget the reverence to a woman. I'm going to pause right there because I think two things here are important. Number one, he makes a very good point about um, lowering moral standards, right? If we lower the bar on human morality, um, people are going to always do the, the bare minimum, right? We, this is part of human nature. But if we keep the bar set high, right, um, and we keep challenging people to those three things that I talked about in a previous lecture, um, love, uh, responsibility, and now I'm, I'm forgetting the third one. It'll come to me. But if we don't challenge people in their moral standards to be the best that they can be, and of course, we also need to understand that God gives the grace to fulfill the moral law, right? But if we lower the bar, people are going to do the minimum. Um, if you don't challenge people, right, to exercise in their moral life, to seek the highest good, right, and to seek the highest good in the exercise of love, which is sacrificial and self-offering, right? We, we've spoken about that, and we get that example of Christ on the cross, right? Any lesser kind of a love is, is not the highest kind of love, all right? Um, so if we don't challenge people to seek the highest good, right, exercising true love, which is, uh, which is sacrificial love, right, and then taking on that, the responsibility for the moral, moral actions, it's going to break down man as a moral agent. Right, man is going to become more and more accustomed to fulfilling um, the lesser moral goods. Right, if you lower the bar, um, you don't strive. There's no striving, and I think that's what Pope Paul VI was getting at here. Was we don't want to lower the bar, okay? Um, and also, a man who grows accustomed to the use of contraceptive method methods may forget. The reverence to a woman, uh, objectification, objectification, treating women as pieces of meat for our own selfish enjoyment. It, it's the culture. 
It is totally the culture. And unfortunately, the flip side of that as well is that women have grown accustomed to being treated that way. And now they exploit that because they know that that's how men treat them. Um, it's not calling women to uh, fulfill their, their amazing gift of femininity. Um, it, it's making them base. Um, it's, it's really disturbing in our culture. All right. And this last paragraph here before we move on, skipping a little ways. Finally, careful consideration should be given to the danger of this power passing into the hands of public authorities. We're, we're there. Um, we've just seen it with the Dobbs case with abortion. Um, you know, something that kind of came out after that decision was, you know, now they're going to come after your contraceptives. Um, unfortunately, this is not something that the government should be involved in. Um, this is something. This is something that, um, really, for for a long time, people looked at the church for guidance. Um, as to understanding marriage, as to understanding the proper role of human sexuality, understanding, um, you know, uh, the, the, the method of natural family planning, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, the church was the teacher of morality, right? But the church has, has since ceded that right to the state. Now, whatever the state dictates is moral or immoral. Well, that's the law, right? If the state says so, well, that's the law. Um, and it's unfortunate because the state does not have all the time um, God's will in mind for uh, moral decisions. So uh, like I said, in many ways, Pope Paul VI was a prophet um, in, in seeing how if the church gave way on artificial contraception, that it would it would lead to these things, and he's he's absolutely right. Sadly, all right. Moving on, I just wanted to really quickly um, take a look at a couple of things, and a lot of this is reiteration of what Paul the Sixth had said. But I think Christ or Pascha draws out some some pretty good points um, about artificial contraception. So I wanted to touch on a few of these. Number eight eighty six. Um, very good point talking about how um, there's no foolproof contraceptive method. And we hear in the culture that the, the greater access there is to contraceptive methods, that will decrease the number of abortions. But because contraception is so hit and miss, um, you know, and I, I'm not a, a, an NFP doctor, nor am I a, a obstetrics or, or gynecologist, you know, I, this is just from the statistics in the culture, I'm getting this. Um, because contraceptive methods are so inconsistent, or they can be inconsistent, that leads to, quote, unquote, unwanted pregnancies, right? And oftentimes, an unwanted pregnancy leads to abortion. So precisely the thing that um, those who want uh, great access to contraception because they they think they they sell their bill of sale by saying oh it'll, it'll decrease the number of abortions. Unfortunately, that is not the case. It leads to more abortions, um, which is which is tragic. Um, Christor Pasca eight ninety points out a, a very good point that's often missed um, that that ties into this point. Um, it it 
it reminds us that many contraceptive methods are, are abortifacient. Um, they cause an abortion, right? They cause a woman to, to miscarry, um, which, is, which is tragic, which is tragic. And this is often not communicated by, by doctors, by the medical profession, that many, many uh, contraceptive methods are abortifacient in, in their nature, in their nature. Paragraph 887, um, a couple who is, is contracepting is already kind of admitting um, an issue in their marriage, right? Um, because what does contraception say in a marriage? It says, I don't love you enough to have a child with you. Um, that's what it communicates. Uh, it communicates, I, I still want to engage in the sexual act with you but I'm not open to life. Um, so I want to take the pleasure that I receive from you without the possibility of bringing a, a new, unique and irrepeatable human life into the world. Um, it kind of, it very much sets up husband and wife to begin to erode one another and to look at one another only from what they can get from one another. Um, that is a big red flag in a marriage. Paragraph 888, um, couple removes God from marriage, just like I said, if, if you're not willing to co-create a brand new human life with God, um, it pushes God out of the marriage. Once you push God out of the marriage, um, it's going downhill fast. And it relegates marriage to the private sphere. And I, I, I tack this little statement on a little bit uh, to kind of push it down the road. Um, if marriage is a private affair, um, government follows suit, right? That marriage is a private thing. And um, therefore, um, you know, what a husband and wife do in their, their private lives, well, that's, that's private, um, except for those things that uh, spill over into the public sphere, like abortion and access to contraceptives, um, and all other kinds of uh, marital um, oversights that the government has taken upon itself, right? Uh, because if marriage is just a contract between two people, not even a husband and wife anymore, two people, uh, the government can, rel can regulate contracts. Um, and that's where we are in our culture. 889 uh, touched on this a bit earlier, contraceptive sex deforms the sexual act. I like that word deforms that the catechism uses, right? It, 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 it takes what the sexual act is in its nature and it deforms it um, to an act of mere sexual gratification, uh, which of course leads to objectification, treating people as objects instead of as ends in themselves, right? Um, one thing that John Paul II taught again and again and again is that persons are of infinite value and dignity and persons are never to be used as objects. They're to be used as ends in themselves. Um, They're to be respected as moral agents, um, they're not a means to something, they're an end to something, right? So therefore they cannot be used. Um, that's so important. 
and it's so countercultural. And we need to we need to hang on to that because it's otherwise um, all kinds of uh, horrors against the dignity of the uh, the dignity of the human person enter into the public sphere, and and we, we can't have that. Contraception is the tip of the iceberg to the moral disintegration of a culture. All right. Lastly, uh, the catechism talks about the responsibility of uh, family family planning um, and regulating birth, and and the church has always. Uh, had a spot for natural family planning as uh, part of uh, kind of a family dynamic and responsible parenthood. Um, and we get kind of the, the scriptural basis of this from St. Paul's letter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, where he says, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a set time to devote yourselves to prayer and then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So kind of that, that understanding that um, using the woman's natural cycle, um, which can be charted, which can be scientifically studied, which can be approached, um, that a husband and wife might agree to, hey, right now is not the best time for us. So, you know, we'll abstain and then come back together to engage in the miracle act during non-fertile times. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. NFP respects the natural female cycle uh, to regulate and space births. Um, it's working with what is natural rather than what is artificial with artificial contraception. It's fundamentally different um, because it's coming from um, an openness to new life. Um, I don't know a couple who practices NFP and is closed off to uh, having babies. Um, they just want their babies to be, you know, maybe they have uh, very good reasons like uh, uh, medical reasons, um, you know, serious medical issues to space births, um, fight, you know, serious financial considerations to space births. Um, those are all, those are legitimate reasons uh, to seek a gap between having children. Um, but gosh, all of the, the couples who either they, they practice NFP or they teach NFP, they're very open to life. And, and usually they have large families already. Um, but there are occasions, like St. Paul says, there are seasons to separate and to focus on prayer, to focus on other forms of intimacy, other forms of bonding between spouses, you know, um, having good conversations. Um, you know, uh, I know a lot of couples that they don't talk to one another too. And that's, that can disintegrate a marriage just like uh, artificial contraception can. So there are those times when focusing on building a relationship in a non-sexual way um, is pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. Okay. NFP promotes dialogue between couples, um, talking about your fertility, um, being on the same page, um, really important. Again, it, 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 adds another layer on to kind of that intimacy of conversation, right? Because you're sharing back and forth um, about really your, I mean, your sexual life, which is, which is great, uh, which is great. To have that level of openness with, with your spouse is, is a really wonderful thing. And again, going with the, just the statistics, those couples that practice NFP have very low divorce rates, very low, because again, 
you're 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 having those conversations you're having those you know good open conversations about your sexual life um and that's a really positive thing uh couples who contracept um artificially um their divorce rate is the same as the the neo-pagan world that we live in it's it's 50 percent plus so again, not being an expert, just knowing these things from the catechism and from my own study of moral theology, um, if you need more resources, and these are some really good resources, um, Dr. Janet Smith's talk, Contraception, Why Not, is phenomenal. It's a classic, um, well worth your time to listen to. Um, we have some friends who operate a, an NFP apostolate called Whole Mission. Um, they teach the Marquette method of, of NFP really good people really good people and very very helpful with helping a, uh, a couple to understand uh their monthly cycle and kind of all of the the benefits and the pos the positives of practicing natural family planning over artificial contraception and then of course check with your local eparchy or your local roman catholic diocese or archdiocese for more resources on natural family planning so there we go. Um, little, very, very important kind of conclusion to those issues at the at the beginning of life that involve uh, the conception of children and the domestic church and and, and kind of establishing a domestic family. Um, those issues for you. Next time we'll take a look at some issues involving the latter part of life. So the the end of life issues that the church teaches on in her moral teaching. We'll cover those in our next meeting so hopefully this is helpful going into a little bit more detail these are important very important kind of uh, conversations to have within our contemporary setting because they are so important to understanding how the christian moral life uh, is lived through marriage and family life so hopefully you're enjoying it great to be with everybody again um please to please continue to support uh, the Becoming Byzantine series, share these videos, spread them around, because we are really trying to reach people with the gospel of life. That's what we're trying to do. So thank you all very much again for your support and your attention. Glory to Jesus Christ, and we'll see you in the next one.